Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 307, chapter 42, Penance. Since studying wasn't an option and winter was covering everything in drifts of blowing snow, I decided this was the perfect time to catch up on a few things I'd been letting fall by the wayside. I tried to pay Aury a visit, but ice covered the rooftops and the courtyard where we usually met was full of drifted snow. I was glad I didn't see any footprints as I didn't think Aury owned shoes, let alone a coat or hat. I would have gone searching for her in the underthing, but the iron grate in the courtyard was locked and iced over. I worked a few double shifts in the Medica and played an extra night at Anchors as an apology for the evening when I'd had to leave early. I worked long hours in the fishery, calculating, running tests, and casting alloys for my project. I also made a point of catching up on a month of lost sleep. But there is only so much sleeping one person can do, and by the fourth day of my suspension, I'd run out of excuses. As much as I didn't want to, I needed to talk to Devi. By the time I made up my mind to go, the weather had warmed just enough so that the falling snow had turned to sheets of freezing sleet. It was a miserable walk to Imra. I didn't have hat or gloves, and the wind-driven sleet soaked my cloak within five minutes. In ten minutes, I was wet through to the skin and wishing I'd waited or spent the money on a carriage. The sleet had melted the snow on the road, and the damp slush was inches thick. I stopped by the Aeolian to warm myself a bit before heading to Debbie's, but the building was locked and lightless for the first time I'd ever seen. Small wonder. What noble would come out in this weather? What musician would expose their instrument to the freezing damp? That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. This is one of those chapter beginnings where Rothfuss has zoomed out a bit to give us a quick a sort of summary to catch us up on what Quoth's been doing and remind us of various plot threads that are happening, uh, such as his secret project in the fishery, which is not related apparently to making his gram. Or no longer. I think before it was an excuse to get into the fishery, but it's still ongoing. It's a bit of a montage, which I always like. It's, I'm always chuffed to see a montage in a book. We love to see the montage. This is like, this montage feels very right now. Like the it's actually it's warmer it's here December. right now. Wait, no, actually this is like this is like January, February, maybe in for the Toronto. book. You mean. I mean, the last last week here we had a pretty awful slushy, sleety snowfall. So it just wasn't certainly... as cold as I feel like this scene makes me feel. It's just kind of like whiling away the hours, right? We need a little bit of time to pass. Quoth needs to recover a bit. Uh, we need to be reminded, like you said, of the plot points. And also, I think what's not said on the page is that Quoth is procrastinating. Really the only loose end right now, short of, you know, studying and his chase for the Emir and the Chandrian is his relationship with Devi. And I think that's something he really doesn't want to tackle. And so he's procrastinating. And eventually, like he says, he runs out of excuses and he has to go down. He still tries to procrastinate. He tries to drop into the Aeolian where hopefully there would be some kind of distraction for him, but no dice. Well, what is he procrastinating about? Does he owe her money? He's just, it's uncomfortable. He has to go talk to her and apologize, basically, and say thank you for helping. He talked to her, but he has to really smooth things out. He probably also needs more money, but I think it's a loose end for him. Hmm. It's not smoothed over yet. There's more conversation to be had. I mean... I think he just doesn't want to have it. Well... 
I think that says something about his character because I would just let this fester because I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. Well, I remember quote, you know, as we learned on the last page, something bothers you, suddenly you're off. You never hesitate. You just see and react. Mm. Uh, so it does tell us something about Quoth's character. While he is the type to get things done, and he is more proactive than perhaps you or even I, he still uh, will let it sit a little bit longer than perhaps he would if it was not his own problem. Mm-hmm. That's true. SNC has helpfully reminded us in the chat that he's still on the hook for Debbie's uh, debt. She, it's, she's called it in to be paid at the end of the term, as was part of their battle. He can't procrastinate because he owes her money, right? If he didn't owe her money, he could procrastinate as long as he wants. Yes, but he's still very much on the Now, one thing here I find a little bit confusing uh, is that he says that part of the reason that he's like not going to see Debbie is because he's suspended. I don't understand how those two things are connected. He's suspended from the archive. He's not suspended from school. He can still be doing like school stuff. Maybe the time that he would normally spend. No, he... He says he's run out of excuses. If he could study, he would go into the archives as an excuse and study, but he doesn't have that excuse, so there's nothing else he can do. He has to go see Debbie. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Rothfuss neatly cuts off all the options. Auri is an obvious one, but it's iced over and, and also apparently manually locked, which implies that Auri did it. So it's not like she's trapped inside. She did it intentionally. I feel like she's like hibernating a little bit. Yeah, well... And the last time he talked to her about winter, he was like, can I bring you like shoes and a coat and something? And she was like, no, I just don't go outside. Presumably the Eolian stop was actually to try and find Denna, but that's cut off for him. He's got work to do. He does it. He's got sleep to catch up on. He does it. And then uh, nothing. Nothing. And you know what else is, is nothing? Our, our notes on this page. I, ha- I got nothing. Nothing. You got nothing? I got nothing. Nothing? Did we have a letter? Anything in the mailbag? This is a letter from Philippe, who writes, Were the bandits really raw? Hello, awesome trio. In episode 283, Nick questions what evidence Quoth has that the bandits that he kills were not real Edema Ra. I researched it, and there are only two pieces of evidence. One, the moral superiority of the Ra. Quoth presumes that no real Edema Ra would kidnap and attack two girls. Two, Alex's confession, which is given under torture. As we now know, people being tortured will confess to anything, true or not. So as far as I am concerned, there is no real evidence besides Quoth's idea of what the Edamara are that proves that they were not real Ra. This is interesting because it would give Rothfuss the possibility to explore two interesting things. One, Quoth's tragic flaw. He assumes they are not Ra without properly considering another option, colored by the fact that because of his trauma, he was not given the opportunity to grow out of his childish, idealized vision of the Ra. And two, the fact that torture is not an effective interrogation technique, a common and harmful media trope. But if I had to bet, I would guess that this is not to be explored. To me, the purpose of the bandit sequence is to show Quoth's new abilities with a sword, rekindle his pride at being a Ra, and set up his falling out with the mayor and Mellow and Lackless, and to expect more of this sequence is to overthink it. Uh, relevant experts, excerpts are below, and thanks for the podcast. So Philippe also mentions the methodology behind the understanding that torture is not effective, which is that the police, or in this case, Quoth, have a pre-existing feeling or prejudice that is not substantiated by objective evidence and starts to torture the person in order to get a confession that will satisfy the lack of evidence and that confirms the prior assumption. And then uh, Philippe also posts, and we can attach this if we want to the episode, but uh, Philippe posts the whole conversation and highlights the moments where Quoth, Quoth puts forward one of his assumptions, part of the torture. My understanding also is just that like torture at a certain point, 
you hurt somebody bad enough and they'll tell you anything you want to hear just to make you stop doing it. So you can't actually rely on anything they tell you being yes. true. I'm swayed very easily by that letter. However, I would like <laughs> to bring in a comment from our uh, live listeners. Uh, Patrick, not Rothfuss, is letting us know Alex's confession was too detailed and unprompted to be attributed to torture. SNC appears to agree. Patrick is also saying that Kvothe asks Aleg how they got the wagons and he tells the whole story. I mean... Again, I feel like this really kind of has to wait till we get there. Like, we have to read that page. I feel like we spent our yesterday's, like, letters and comments section... On the same topic? <laughs> on, on the same topic and, and basically having come to the conclusion that the Ra are good, these guys aren't Ra and are bad... Uh, and that Quoth did nothing wrong. All right. I, I think that, hang on, I have one more thing to say on this. I do think that there is an, a convincing argument to be made kind of either way, but I don't think that's really the point. I suspect that what is kind of happening here is the same trick that George R. R. Martin is, is in the books anyway, trying to pull with Daenerys, where he puts us in the head of someone who we know is moral and is a hero and gets them in a situation where they get to do crimes against people who are objectively bad. In the case of Daenerys, she does crimes against humanity against the slavers, and we're cheering along with them because they're slavers. They got it coming. They got it coming. And they all have it coming, right? And then later in the book, and the show kind of jumped the gun on this, but where Daenerys's arc is going is she's going to use those same tactics against the people in Westeros, and we're going to be like, what? But really, all along, we've like we see why she comes to that conclusion that those tactics are good, and so it's possible that this is kind of what's happening with Quoth as well, where he gets to do these tactics against people who we know or we believe along with him are bad, and if he's presented with perhaps a different raw bubble who he also decides are false, but it turns out maybe they're not. If he does the same things with them. Uh, that's a, sort of a different... But of course, whatever Daenerys does to get Westeros back is just because she is the rightful heir to the throne. She has the best claim. Her family ruled Westeros for 300 years. And it was stolen from her. Yes, divine right of kings is... Of yeah. Yes, yes, I agree, Jeremy. <laughs> divine right of kings is how we should be choosing I mean, in the of context of Westeros, yes! You guys are silly. Jeremy, in Westeros, that only worked when they weren't insane, but the family well, but went not insane. insane. Isn't she though? No. Anyway, the point <laughs> the point is in Westeros, they rose up against them not because they didn't believe in the divine right of kings, but because it became clear that the family had madness in it and that it was not good for the the Yeah, continent. absolutely. But the but the Targaryen faction had also come to that conclusion because Tywin Lannister was trying to put Rhaegar on the throne. Tywin and Rhaegar were conspiring to to like push Aerys the Mad King aside and put Rhaegar, who would have been an amazing king, on the throne. But Rhaegar bought into all of the nonsense. Rhaegar is like uh, is like a young uh, Sansa because he bought into all the nonsense. He bought into the story. Yeah, but he has the power to make it right. Like he is like a divinely appointed child of prophecy. He would have been an amazing king. He's like, a, he's actually is a perfect knight. Ladies and gentlemen and friends beyond the binary, we are pivoting once again into yet another Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> One day, just Nick and I will start the sister podcast, Page of Thrones. Yes, uh, a little bit out of time, I think. I think Page of Thro the time for Page of Thrones has come and gone. Mm, a lot. But uh, we can... Yes. You know, the time will come around again when Winter, Winter finally comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to happen. 
Until then, you can keep on listening to our podcast, which will never end, on tomorrow's page of the Wind.